Hi, welcome back to Radio Wasteland. And our guest tonight is Stephen Bassett, the Executive Director of Paradigm Research Group. Uh, that's paradigmresearchgroup.org, which was founded in 1996 to end a government-imposed embargo on the truth behind extraterrestrial-related phenomena. You know, um, do you prefer Stephen or Steve? Uh yeah, Stephen, professionally, like when you're, you know, you're signing up for things and Let's whatever. stick with that. Then. But Steve, no, 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 Steve, Steve amongst podcasters. I'm, I'm a podcaster <laughs> now, too, so we are part Everyone. of this fraternity. <laughs> All right, so, Steve, you know, my first question whenever it comes to disclosure is always, how sure are we and how are we sure that the government, that the government even has anything to disclose to us? Well, there have been an awful lot of people who have been studying this phenomena for 70 years. Each decade, the, the amount of investigation by the research activist community has just grown. Massive amount of evidence has been uh, compiled. Thousands of books have been written, hundreds of thousands of websites. Now we have podcasts, right? That's true. Uh, uh, documents, FOIAs. We have a mountain of evidence which confirms uh, a few absolute certain facts. One fact is that there's an ET presence. That's, it's been established and proven many times over. The second is the government knows about this presence and has embargoed the truth of it, confirmation of it from the people, from American people. That's a fact. Um, and uh, the, the, there is contact going on between extraterrestrials and human beings in a I guess you could say a covert way, one-on-one, uh, -on -one, mm -hmm. essentially. Not necessarily open contact with governments or contact with governments, but with individuals. This is the contact evidence. It's not, it's, it's, it's more complicated and more difficult for some to get, but the evidence, which is in the form of hundreds of thousands of now reported cases, not 10, not 20, hundreds of thousands of reported cases, uh, is now established as fact. So those three things for sure uh, are facts based on the evidence, not based on what someone believes. So, so the answer is go review the evidence. It will right. take you months, but I'm sure if you were to review it all, yeah. you would be as convinced of it as I am. Okay, now it creates logistical issues. I don't normally like to compare things to you know, when we're dealing with these things to science fiction because I don't want audience people to think that that uh, it's discardable, but the comp the comparison is something that obviously people have thought about. So with aliens communicating with our government, does that mean that they're communicating with the Russian government and the Chinese government too? And then is there logistical issues with the fact of our interests not matching up with theirs? I realize it's a big web of a question that I just asked here, but I'm not sure how better to, to frame it. First, let me just mention, again, it's not mandatory, but in my world, the, the appropriate term is extraterrestrial. Oh, okay. It's harder to pronounce and harder to spell. There's no question about it. I think but it is the I preferred term for a number of reasons. Pass on. Yeah. And the other thing is, is, that, is that, no, there, there, we have, it has not been proven that extraterrestrials are in any kind of formal contact with government. Mm -hmm. it's, been, it's been speculated. Uh, it's certainly one of those things that, that people that are trying to get attention love to toss out there. But has it been proven? It is not. 
Now again, we got at least one eye, one live alien. There we go. We're all trying to, uh, <laughs> trying to adapt, right? That's right. We'll we, uh, we, and like UFO to UAP, let me tell you, that's brutal, but I'm working on it. Uh, we have at least one extraterrestrial live body from, from live body, live, live entity from, from Roswell. Now that's not formal contact. That's an entity. It's in our custody. Sure. And there may have been more. And they may not be happy that we have it. So they're, and that's, and that's, but then that's not that big a deal. So this idea of contact with government, a lot, I'm sure people are concerned about it. And if you want to bring it up, you can debate it all day long and you could talk about theoretically or speculate how it would go. But let me be clear to those that are listening, it hasn't been established. So you don't don't want to get your uh, underwear in a knot too soon here. Mm -hmm. Uh, If it is established at some point, I will not be surprised. But until then, it's an extremely significant exopolitical matter, and we need to be sure before we start digging into that. I get what you're saying. You know, I think that there was an implication behind my question that disclosure meant uh, disclosing our relationship. But really what you're saying is disclosure would mean disclosing the existence of. Presence of. Presence of. I'm the one that defined disclosure with a capital D. Mm-hmm. Small D disclosure had been out there. Greer was using it back in the 90s, right up into the early 2000s, no problem. But it was, in that context, it was this, the process. Mm-hmm. The disclosure project was about revealing more to the public, disclosing to the public, no problem. I made a decision to, to, to create a new word, a proper noun, disclosure with a capital D. Well, actually, it, it already exists as a proper noun. It was the name of a movie with um, Demi Moore. But in any event, <laughs> And Michael um, Douglas. Now, what, why, why was that important? Because there's an activist movement. That's what I'm involved in. And, and for an activist movement to succeed, it has to have a defined goal. You have to know exactly what you're trying to get to. If you're going to sign petitions, march in the street, spend your money, uh, make whatever personal sacrifice, you, you just don't do it for some nebulous possibility. You have to have a defined outcome. For the civil rights movement, we know what that was. The women's suffrage movement, we know what that was. Women's right to vote. And that's what they got. Mm. So what's the defined movement for the, the activist movement with respect to the extraterrestrial present? Not the research. The research is about finding out things. Activism is about getting somewhere specific, particularly as it refers to the government. Mm. So we needed that. And, I, and for me, it was disclosure, capital D. What's that? That's the formal acknowledgement of their presence, not by just anybody, but by the heads of state of governments. So in other words, when those words come out of the mouth of say, President Biden, that's disclosure. If they come out of the mouth of President Putin, that's disclosure. Now there's been some confusion about that. And I understand people are confusing small D disclosure with capital D disclosure, and it gets kind of messy. I'll take full responsibility for that. I still love the word. Right. Some people no, start it makes using sense. Word, it makes sense. Conf- some people use the word confirmation. Right. Sure. Yeah, it but, makes sense. I do think that uh, before it was carrying the connotation for me that there was a relationship between our government and these alien uh, extraterrestrials. Well, it, but yeah. um, but it makes sense that they could just be aware of them. And I think that brings us to the next obvious question. And that is, I mean, why not tell us? I mean, why? I I can't 
imagine that in this world of technology and this world of uh, amateur researchers, amateur uh, um, astrologists and all sorts of stuff, I mean, why hide it? Well, now, I, I know I, you may one, not know the answer to this, but surely there's some speculation. Well, I have a pretty good idea. I mean, oh. I'm asked that question constantly. I've been thinking oh. about it <laughs> year. We have a pretty good idea why the, the presence of ETs and what the government knew about it was embargoed. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's again, a language issue. I, I'm the one, I'll take responsibility for that one. UFO cover-up was, was the term. That's what you used to describe what the government was doing. That was it for decades and decades. Wrong term. And, and, and you, you, you want your language to be clear and, 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 and productive and not destructive. Uh, there are many instances in activist movements where language pops up, which is really not helpful at all, but people just get on it and off they go. And that's, that's bad. That's a bad uh, idea. So why, UFO, UFO cover-up is... We were talking about, Karen and I last week, we were talking about uh, the coronavirus and how we felt that the word, or I felt that the word, use of the word novel uh, was part of the problem with people and people didn't really understand the word and the the uh, confusion of that term actually led to a lot of confusion in the public. So I get what you're saying. You really want yeah, to that, that's an instance vocabulary. Yeah, that's an instance of simply the language being referred to it. It's, you know, it's that's not an activist movement. That's researchers describing what's going on. And it is Mm -hmm. it is that is a term uh, that is used in the research community of virology. But the public did not get that. So that's that's also another language could be an issue in any area of communications. But there's a specific kind of problem that develops in activism. So UFO cover up implies uh, uh, that there is an illegal process going on. Same thing with conspiracy. People refer to the, the truth embargo as a conspiracy. It is not. It is, in fact, the legal policy of the United States government going all the way back to 1940, 47, justified under the National Security Act and other presidential directives that might have been issued. And so it wasn't illegal. It can't be a conspiracy, and it's not a cover-up. It is a truth embargo, like the embargo of Cuba. Uh, you can't go to Cuba. It's embargoed, and that's a legal policy. All right. So again, language. So I call it the truth embargo. Why did they embargo it? The answer is not too complicated, uh, but it is somewhat complicated. The extraterrestrial phenomena of the modern era begins in 47. Prior to 47, there just wasn't much going on. Throughout the first half of the 20th century, there's just very little happening for whatever reason. Don't know. But after we dropped the bombs in Japan and started developing, well, in our case, the fusion bomb, we already had the fission bomb. Um, Suddenly, in early 47, craft started appearing in large numbers and were being seen all over the world. Many of these sightings, some of these sightings are known. Most of them are not known because at the time, nobody was paying attention. Nobody was filming. They saw something, they didn't report it. Lord knows how many sightings took place in 1947 alone. But the most famous sighting was Kenneth Arnold over Mount Rainier. Nine chevron-shaped, not disc-shaped, but chevron-shaped craft in formation. Only 10 days roughly later, a couple of these almost certainly similar, if not the same craft, crashed in New Mexico. And we got one of them. And we got the bodies. And we got a live one. And so 
at that moment in July of 1947. They did put out a press release, which caused a bit of a problem, but they didn't get the memo. They didn't get the email, right? Don't put out a press release if you, if you catch an extraterrestrial craft. So he put it out. They meant well. But at that moment, the government knew this. And by the government, I mean President Eisenhower, who had a limit, I'm sorry, Truman, who had a limited amount of time mm -hmm. to make a decision. What are we going to do? There's a press release out that says they found a saucer. How, what are we going to do? And he, all, he, he would have known about the bodies as well. So here, here was what President Truman was looking at. And by I'm using him as representative for all of the military uh, and intelligence sure. people at the time. The Soviet Union, we know, they know the Soviet Union had the fission bomb secrets and were working on a bomb. They've been working on a bomb, but they also had our information through a spy. They knew by 47 that they had the fusion bomb secrets as well, along with whatever they had developed, and they were going to build bombs. Three, they knew that the Soviet Union had missile scientists from, from Germany. We didn't get them all. And so we knew that they were building missiles. At that time, there was an iron curtain across Europe. And a, great, and a significant portion of our own military were saying, we are going to have to fight the Soviets. A lot of them wanted to go to fight them almost immediately after the end of the war. So the battle lines were set. And the next war was in, in the, the lead up to the next war was underway. It would be nuclear, World War III. And I think most of them knew that World War IV would be fought with sticks and stones. So that is what they're facing. They don't know what's going to happen. We could be headed for another war, but certainly the world will become very dangerous. And now they've got a crash vehicle with dead extraterrestrial bodies in it. So, and they don't know what the intention of these extraterrestrials are. They don't know what the technology be used for. And so they said, this is classified. We are shutting this down. Absolutely. Who would not do anything differently? And so they, they shut it down to see what would happen. Fortunately, uh, the new, the, the new press, second press release at Roswell pushed the press out. Everything settled back down. And for the next five years, they're behind the scenes, kind of figure out which way to go. There's some sightings turning up. Not too big a deal. It's all manageable so far. And then in July of 1952, a bunch of these craft turned up over the Capitol. And for a number of days over a period of like two weekends, Craft were being seen around Washington. This was a big deal and scared the hell out of the military and the White House. And at this point, they realized these craft can go wherever they want. We can't stop them. And so if we don't go to great lengths to keep this issue contained, it's going to be out in the public domain. And by 52, of course, the situation with the Soviet Union was even worse. And so we, they, they, they really formalized, and the Robertson panel was part of this, they formalized the truth embargo at that point, and they said, okay, NSA, CIA, FBI, whatever it takes, we are going to contain this issue. We are not going to allow it to be a public matter. They didn't know how long they would have to maintain that posture. It could be that we would have settled things with the Soviet Union in eight or 10 years, come to an agreement, step back on the nuclear arms development, made peace, had detente. That's not what happened. Right. What happened Obviously. is yeah. a Cold War developed that lasted for 44 years. And every year of that Cold War, more nukes were built. More countries became nuclear countries. So by 1986, 
there were in excess of 80,000 nuclear warheads in the stockpiles or ready for launch in eight different countries. And so because of that circumstance, the truth embargo was locked in place for those 44 years solid. Nobody was going to make any progress. Forget about it. I didn't mean we didn't try. Didn't mean there was lots of research. By the time the truth embargo, the, the, the Cold War ends, and the potential for disclosure or moving forward on this uh, develops, the truth embargo was completely institutionalized. It was part of our culture. If you were a journalist, if you were a scientist, you were a college professor, if you were a politician, you sort of knew you just don't go there. Now, the question is, how long would it take for things to change where, where we would move from the, 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 the Cold War truth embargo posture on the ET issue to the post-Cold War and disclosure event? I didn't think it would take this long, but there have been political developments and other circumstances during the last 30 years which have prevented this thing from happening. So now we're in a totally different situation. I think disclosure is very close, but that's, that's the short answer to your question. Why didn't they just tell us the truth? When right. you say political developments, do you mean like the war on terror or what, what are you? 9-1-1, yeah. Iraq war, <laughs> first Iraq war. Mm -hmm. uh, all of these happened after, well, the first, the first Iraq war happened just as the Cold War was ending, interestingly enough. Sure, yeah. <laughs> and that's, that's an interesting speculation. I like to put it out there. Uh, looking back, it was clear that once the Cold War ended, the door was opening. It was a question who was going to make a move. We know who made a major move, and that was Lawrence Rockefeller. He admitted that once the Cold War was over, he intended to push getting this information out to the public right away, no matter who became president. Uh, so Rockefeller was sort of planning to make a significant effort to get the files out and essentially end the embargo. George H.W. Bush would have been the perfect president to do that with. He, he had the ultimate insider Washington, D.C. resume. He had everything. His resume was as thick as a phone book. World War II hero. Uh, CIA director a vice president, senator, congressman, and, and, and many other things that made him beloved by the military intelligence complex. And so if he had won the election and Rockefeller had approached his administration, it's very possible we would have gotten disclosure because he would have been perfectly acceptable to the Department of Defense with respect to getting this done and then handling how it goes, how the public dealt with it, and what the government was going to do, how the military would handle it but he didn't win. In fact, the opposite of him won. Uh, to the extent that H.W. Bush was the darling of the military intelligence complex, mm -hmm. William Clinton was despised by the uh, military intelligence complex. So Rockefeller approached his administration and the military intelligence complex said, basically said, no way, Jose, you're not, you're not going anywhere with this. We will stop you cold. And that's what they did. And so that was so that was right then we had a chance for it to happen. We also had a chance in 47. I mean, if the if, if Eisenhower, like Marshall, had been out riding his horse when the information came in about the crash, Marshall was riding his horse when the information about uh, the threat to Hawaii came in and, on, uh, from the Japanese. 
and he had taken even 12 more hours to make a decision, the press would have made it to Roswell. They were driving there in cars and boats and planes or however the hell they could get there and started interviewing the scores of witnesses in Roswell, firsthand testimony about what they had saw. But he, he didn't, he, he got it done fast. And within eight hours, they had a second press conference. out. That's how close we came to disclosure in 1947. Now, after Clinton comes in, uh, that was the first major problem. Because from the standpoint, remember, disclosure or confirmation must come from the president. Bill Clinton was the wrong guy. He, he was so hated by the military that officers in the field were making jokes about the president in front of their own troops. And the DOD had to send out letters to the line officers saying it is patently illegal and violation of your oath to ridicule the president in front of your own troops. I mean, that's how bad it was. And it only got worse. The CIA knew about his womanizing, the pot smoking, the draft, well, draft dodging, the fact that he did not serve. All of that made him absolutely unacceptable. And so in a sense, that guaranteed the first eight years of the post-disclosure world. Uh, I'm sorry, the first eight years of the post-World War II era. Uh, Cold War era. I'll get it. I'll get it. I'm doing a lot of interviews. And let me tell you, my brain is slowly starting to defuse. Uh, we're gone. We lost those first eight years. And I could go through the rest of the 22 years and give you reasons why it kept getting pushed down the road. And that's that explains it. This is maybe a stupid. Sorry. sorry. Just sorry, go one ahead, more Karen. thing on that. Yeah. This is maybe a stupid question. But on the. I guess just why would disclosure have to come from the president? Like. Surely there were memos and stuff. Why couldn't uh, Edward Snowden type, you know, find, hey, here's some emails about this stuff and here it is, you know. We, we've gotten things like that. Uh, the CIA has been releasing lots of documents or putting documents on the Internet over the last three years that actually have UFO or UAP material in it. We call UFO uh, and, and other things have been obtained. That's small D disclosure. So if Edward Snowden had read some files that referred to the issue, that's small d disclosure. That's more information being I told to us. Yeah. Yeah. Disclosure with a capital D, again, is an event. And it's defined. In other words, we define it. right? By defining exactly what it is, it minimizes my argument, my argumental, <laughs> argumental demands. It is only the announcement from the president. Okay. And the reason that's important is that if the president confirms the extraterrestrial presence to the American people, which will be accompanied by additional confirmation, confirmatory evidence, be assured of that, above and beyond what we have in the public domain, that is it, okay? Right. It, I guess, it's now known, it's now gonna be accepted worldwide within, within days. I guess here's my, my question. Say you have a tape of the president saying, yes, aliens are here extraterrestrials are here mm -hmm. and that gets leaked or something. Does that count as capital D disclosure? A small okay. D disclosure, <laughs> but that's, that's an intense small D. Uh, it, in other words, <laughs> right. that would be powerful. There are any number of things that could have happened under mm -hmm. the small D disclosure um, umbrella that would have possibly forced disclosure of, with a capital D pretty quickly, forced okay. confirmation. We really haven't had that. Uh, right. Uh, boy, I mean, Roswell was an example. Roswell could have done it. 
Mm -hmm. I get it. It was they they were able to get on top of it pretty quickly. Um, since then, Phoenix Lights was a major event, but they moved quickly to come up with a stupid excuse for it or explanation and got it under control. Um, let me think of uh, again. There have been major cases. Like Rendlesham Farms was a was a was a major case. Could have gotten out of hand, but it was near a military base. They were on it right away. It was pretty much contained. The Nimitz event was a major event, very oh, much yeah. right away. Uh, now, if 20 saucers were to hover over Chicago for maybe six hours, uh, make unusual maneuvers, and then when planes were set up to intercept them, just, just disappeared, outrun them, that is a level that would have literally forced the government's hand. Now, now, something you need to keep in mind, and all your listeners need to keep in mind as they, as they, as they read and hear about these events that are happening every couple of weeks now. There's th this whole issue is coming to a head. I'm, I'm saying the disclosure is closed, and they're seeing all these things happening. And they're like, what's going on? And they're trying to understand it, and they're trying to assess it. What does it mean? And okay, that's fine. Do that, but you have to keep something in mind all the time when you see anything coming from the government or the Navy, or the DOD, or anybody else. Those who are on a need to know in the United States government have known there's an extraterrestrial presence since no later than 47. They've known for 74 years. And that includes the UK government and pretty much every developed country in the world, Canada, Australia, France, and China, Soviet Union, now Russia, all of them, there are people in those governments on a need to know that are aware. Now, who else knows how, how large the, the group of individuals within any particular government, most cases are gonna be confined to their military intelligence community. No, may vary, but the governments know. And so when they say and do things, you have to keep in mind that obviously it's in that context so if the government says we're, we're going to release some files to you, uh, don't, don't, don't assume that, that, oh, wow, they're going to give us the truth or it's, not, it's going to be uh, very profound. Because if they wanted to end the truth embargo, the governments could have done it any time they wanted to, any time. And so everything else they do is always going to be short of that. Right. Unless we are in the final phase of the truth embargo, and they are starting to become involved in ending it, then you could have a, a then you might expect a stronger uh, events and, and, and responses. And that happens to be exactly what's been happening since October of 2017. So, you know, uh, regardless of how people feel about uh, Donald Trump as a president, uh, I think we can all agree that he was a talker. Were you surprised that disclosure didn't come from him? No, not at all. No? Uh, uh, as I said, Bill Clinton was simply not acceptable mm -hmm. to be the disclosure president. Uh, and he, that was after the Cold War ended. Jimmy Carter made a run at the issue. Uh, he was a very honest man, and he, he was, a lot of people wanted him to look into it, and he did. He tried to, and he was stonewalled. He was blocked. Right. There was... How do you block a president? Well, you just tell him, sorry, got nothing here. And if the president doesn't want to push it, then that's it. So uh, George Bush, 
the son of George H.W. Bush, who would have been the disclosure president possibly if he had won a second term, was not briefed and was not going to be able to do it. He wasn't going to be allowed to do it. And there's some reasons for that. I see. You're saying that they just don't even inform them of the important aspects. Well, some they do, some they, they don't, them. but right. they're, they're not going to inform a president that they absolutely have no desire to, they do not want to be uh, fronting this issue. Uh, the uh, Donald Trump was not someone that the military intelligence complex wanted fronting this issue, period. It wasn't even sense. a close call. Given, given the split of everything, that makes a lot of sense. Every, there's, there's a thousand reasons, mm-hmm. but they, they absolutely did not want him to do this. Now, that doesn't mean that, I mean, hey, anybody in the administration can, can read the books. They can go to the websites. I mean, the huge amount of information in the public domain is available to everybody. And so you have, you have people on the Hill that they see this stuff. And so, and it's going to come up, Lord knows. And it did come up, and he was asked about it a couple of times, but by individuals in his circle. And he gave a nondescript response. I, 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 he wasn't briefed, at least not, not a major briefing. He finally did get a briefing from the pilots of the Nimitz, but uh, uh, it just wasn't in the cards. Wasn't going to happen. Now, if he had won a second term, that's different. Because of what happened, as what's happened the last three years, even if he wins a second term, I don't think the Pentagon and those that were that are involved in this disclosure movement right now could have waited four more years. I don't think it could have contained it. And so it might well have been the case. He would have been the disclosure president in the second term. So how about Joe Biden? You know, ultimate Absolutely. Washington insider. So uh, more reasons to think it's close. I believe he's going to be the disclosure president. I Absolutely. see it. And that's that's part of this push that you're talking about because uh you know in your in your in your outreach you basically said i believe that we are in the last weeks and months of the truth embargo and it's time to put the advocacy effort into overdrive that's right and so part of that is because of the current administration now realize the audience you know there's so many bipolar people out there we're not advocating for anybody but we are saying that this president fits checks all the boxes that might lead to this public disclosure. Well, George H.W. Bush enough checks of all the, the boxes. Enough of the boxes. <laughs> enough of the boxes. Yeah, but again, I don't, I don't want people to personalize it. It's not, oh, wow, it, it, it's Joe Biden, and therefore, yeah, we're right, going to do disclosure. Right, right. No. It was the political circumstances of the United States going back quite a ways, actually. I mean, you can go all the way back to 1990, frankly have been a mess and getting worse all the time. It's, it's not good. We, have, we, are, we are seeing broad spectrum dysfunction. It's been growing and uh, causing, pick a problem, all kinds of problems. In other words, the country is in decline. Uh, and that came to a head in the last election. I mean, so the last four years are unlike anything I've ever seen in my lifetime. Uh, I just, I, they, they, they ran out of words to describe what was happening. And so the chaos, yeah. The, the hatred, the bipartisan, the, the partisanship, the, 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 uh, the lockup, the gridlock, everything else, it's just been awful. And so the idea that you're going to somehow maneuver the Congress, which in the last two years was split between two parties, into taking hearings on the extraterrestrial issue was simply out of the question. 
And so that had to change. Now, how it changed, obviously, remained to be seen. Eventually, though, there were only two candidates. And so since there were only two candidates, and one of the candidates was simply not going to work, whoever the other candidate was was going to be better. And it could have been any one of the Democratic, I believe any one of the Democratic candidates would have, would have probably provided a better situation. Now, something else happened, though. It was also very important. It, it wasn't critical, but it was very important. In fact, a lot of things have fallen into place. In other words, once, once it looked like things were going in the right direction, then, you, you, well, how, 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 much are the, how, how much are we going to be uh, running into the wind? The Senate switched over. Now, why is that important? When the Senate switched, it meant that all of the committee chairs are now one party. Right. So the Senate and House committee chairs are all the same party. That's very helpful. Because if you're going to get hearings going and say this, the House agrees to hold some hearings, but then the Senate, because they have, a different, they have different party chairs who, who, who decide whether what hearing is going to take place, could say, wait, I don't like this nonsense. We're not holding any hearings here. And so now you've got this split situation. Not the case now. And so we have one party control of the House and the Senate. We have a totally different administration that one could make a fairly reasonable case without getting personal about Biden, that it's going to be more stable. There's going to be less confusion. There's going to be more action. And the, the partisanship is going to settle down some and thus make it conducive to go ahead with this maneuver. And, and, and you may say, well, you know, there's always things you're trying to get done. And sometimes they're harder than others. So what's the big deal about this having to have particularly favorable circumstances. Mm -hmm. Because there's another thing all the listeners need to keep in mind as they contemplate what's happening here. I've told you one thing, the government's always known about the ET issue for 74 years. The disclosure event, the confirmation of the extraterrestrial president by a head of state, which will then expand worldwide within days to every head of state in the world, and the process leading up to it, which you have to have, there has to be a way to get this done and do it in an appropriate way, is the most profound event in all of human history based upon the total impact and the, the, the rapidity of the impact, because there have been some significant events in history. Jesus Christ is considered a big deal, Mohammed a big deal, and there's been some others. But if you measure it on the basis of how many people are affected, how quickly, this is 7 billion people practically overnight, most profound event in human history. It is a, it is, it, there simply aren't the words to, to measure how big this is. And so, yeah, given how, how big it is, how, how, how profoundly it's going to affect the human race and the politics and the geopolitics, it's a big deal. It has it, the conditions have to be right to pull it off because anything of this magnitude is going to have a lot of people saying no. Uh, we can't handle this. Right. Too big. Hmm. And, and and anything this big is going to affect such a huge range of of uh, of people and institutions and so forth. Not all of them are going to be affected in a positive way. Yeah, unless it, they say COVID is over, by the way, there's aliens. Go outside, have some fun. <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. And by the way, by the way, that the COVID pandemic is the 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 uh, the odd event. That's something that we didn't see coming. And and uh, 
it is now uh, probably the most important factor in terms of the timing, right? In other words, uh, I had a certain sense of the timing, but now because of the COVID, but even as late as mid-December, I still thought we could be seeing these hearings in February. Uh, but uh, because fast. of the, the variants mm -hmm. and the vaccine schedule, when you do the math on that, uh, probably late March would be the soonest you'd want to do this because these hearings have to be in person. They cannot be Zoom. Mm -hmm. uh, the witnesses are going to have to be in Washington in person in front of uh, the panel. And so you, you want you want things to be a little more comfortable than that. Uh, so that's the number one. Now, if this thing gets worse, if suddenly takes off, if we get a variant with a 30 percent fatality rate, uh, well, the hearings will be delayed. But that's true of a lot of things. If China sinks a U.S. carrier in the South China Sea, uh, disclosure <laughs> hearings will be delayed. will be delayed. You can count on that. You know, moving moving back a couple of parts here, um, when we were talking about the Senate and and uh, hearings and the. How does this work? OK, so our government uh, has a lot of checks and balances. That's great. Keeps governments in checks, but it also makes our government move at an incredibly glacial pace when it comes to a lot of things. Sometimes is there a concern or I would just assume that there is a concern that another superpower or country with influence is going to beat us to disclosure. <laughs> I've been warning our government about that for 20 some years. I bring it up all the time. I was bringing it up in, 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 and coast to coast with Art Bell in <laughs> 2000, mm, right? Yes. I constantly bring it up. I even went to the, Moscow, gave an interview there and brought it up in Moscow. Uh, and I was able to leave the country. It's great. Um, now, now, why do I do that? Well, the reason I've had to do it that way is that, you know, I, for some reason, the Pentagon never invites me to anything. I, and whatever they got going over there, they never send me an invite. Uh, and, and I'm going, okay. So if the it only makes way you I feel can, any better, they don't invite me either. Yeah, right. And, and I'm sure if I send them a letter, I don't think anybody above, maybe somebody in the, in the cafeteria might read it. But so how do I communicate? I communicate through the media. So you can find me saying this all over the internet. If you go looking for my, my uh, interviews, which are, you know, most of them are archived. Sure. It's the great thing about the internet. Love it. Also in lectures I've given. And the message is simple. Look, you guys have been kicking this can down the road a long time. And you're not the only uh, government in town. The president is not the only president in town. And there are presidents out there that could very well do this. Would it be one of our allies? Very not likely. Right. Yeah. Our allies well, are our allies, and we are the most powerful nation in the world. We are the principal defender of the non-communist world, or the I, I'm not sure what you call it now. I mean, because Soviet Union is a capitalist country, but yeah, we are the principal. Yeah, the authoritarian <laughs> world. Yeah. Um, so, but. I assure you, Putin and Xi Jinping could care less about that. And so I usually bring up Putin, but it could be Xi Jinping. These are the two leaders that could yank it out from us. You know, you say, well, what does it matter if they do? Great. Well, you're, that's true. Long term, it won't matter too much. Once we get to the post-disclosure world, then we can get on with civilization again. And that's a good thing. However, whoever goes first does have geopolitical implications. And one of the simplest ones, uh, there are many, but here's a simple one. Uh, the, the head of state that goes first 
that goes in front of their people, and by extension now the world's people, and confirms the extraterrestrial presence, providing some really fine evidence to go along with that, just to, you know, to be, to be uh, appropriate, will achieve in that instance one of the greatest political legacies, if not the greatest political legacy in history. That's true. It's the kind of legacy you get big granite things built for you. <laughs> now, why, why is that important? Because political legacy is political capital. So you get a legacy that big, that gives you a tremendous amount of political cap capital to throw your weight around and get things done. Well, I think this brings up the question then, uh, you know, obviously with all the checks and balances and hoops and glacial pace that we're talking about, one president's good, one president's bad, so on and so forth. But in countries like Russia and China, where you have a leader for life, what right. are they waiting for? Uh, that, that's a good point. You're asking very good questions. Um, uh, yeah, I, I've been asked many times, why hasn't Putin or Xi Jinping done it? They've both been in power for, I don't know, 20 some years. And there's, I mean, only they know for sure, but the, the most likely explanation is this, and it's been getting worse for them. You go back, say, to 1990, and you move forward, what I'm about to describe is, is slowly gotten worse in both countries. And what do I mean by that? Wherever China was going in 1992, and it's had some interesting uh, periods, uh, even under Xi Jinping, who who came on with some progressive policies and was doing some very important things, which helped to make China a, a, a huge uh, economic power. And by the way, there are capitalists in China. It's not a completely communist state. There are billionaires in China, right? Okay, so capitalism is, is, is the economic uh, uh, model for the world now. We won there. Mm. Trouble is unregulated greed capitalism is not a good thing and we've got that problem, but still, capitalism. Xi Jinping started getting more authoritarian again. He started clamping down and Putin did the same thing. So essentially they're authoritarian states. Uh, uh, China is a little more, author is more authoritarian than Russia, but Russia's trying to catch up. Now, I mean, Putin does have to keep his oligarchs happy. That's, yeah. That's essentially the pressures right. that he's got. But that, that's, that's the corruption side. I'm talking about the control side. And so when, you, when you're an authoritarian leader, which means a control leader with a lot of power, mm -hmm. uh, it's about keeping everybody in line. In other words, in, in the extreme case, and you know, China got extreme under Mao, you know, the Red Book and everybody fought, and, and, and of course the ultimate example of every, keeping everybody in line is North Korea, without question. It's, it's, it's probably gone as far as any country in the world in creating essentially a cult-like group think so intense that it makes it possible for the likes of Kim Jong-un and others to just get away with murder. Still, the issue is this. If you are running that kind of country, you don't want to tell your people that they're not alone in the universe. There's other civilizations. A number of them have, have entities uh, or members of their species engaging us right now. They have extremely advanced technologies. They can come and go as they please and there's nothing we can do about it. I see. You don't tell your people that because it you are- a, you are. It puts a big variable in your, fear, in your fear control. It is simply not compatible with how you're governing. And so it's just not 
they're not going to do it. That's the best answer I can give, but it's a good answer. Now, that doesn't it does mean make they sense. couldn't do it. Right. Yeah. It, it, in other words, they're weighing something. And if I'm Putin, I'm weighing these two things. The glory and historical legacy I'll get from being the one that finally tells the world the truth. In other words, being the great truth teller. There's a certain irony there, all right? <laughs> uh, as opposed to the the uh, the, uh, the effect it's going to have on the Russian people who are going to get a little rambunctious and it may be harder for me to do what I do. So he's right. weighing that. Now, again, right now Putin is in a crisis. He's in one of the worst crises he's had. Uh, a, 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 an activist, a dissident, has, has, has become very successful in galvanizing the people, and that's uh, Alexei Navalny. Mm-hmm. And he's hammering him. He's been hammering him for years and recently really scored some major points. Putin is under a lot of pressure. If, if, if what Navalny's last uh, uh, documentary, expose, is true, if Putin has been garnishing hundreds of millions to the point of uh, billions of bribes and, and cuts and has built surreptitiously a massive estate, worth a billion and a half dollars, and this keeps coming out, his legacy is uh, in danger. He could go out on a very bad note, which means that he might be looking around for something to, how would you say, cement his legacy. Right. And so I would suggest if the, if the, if the DOD called me up and said, what do you think, Steve? I would say, I would, I would suggest you don't waste many, much more time. I think I'd get going on this because... <laughs> This guy is, is, is with, you know, he's assassinating people. He's, he, he may have stolen more money than any, any leader in all time. Do you want him to get the legacy of the ET announcement as opposed to Biden? Right. right? Are you sure about this? So again, but the U.S. government has been the principal uh, proponent and, and, and principal maintainer of this embargo for 70 years. And it's very hard for them to face up to the scrutiny and the, um, the, uh, uh, the questions that they're going to get. And so for many of them, it's like just another day, just put it off another week and not yet. A lot of them are thinking, put it off until I'm dead. Once I'm dead, go ahead, right. I don't care anymore, right. right? And so it's just an inertia, they can't, but again, barring anything profound happening, I think we're about to get it unless Vladimir makes a bold move, say next month. You know. Speaking of explaining and, you know, because when when capital disclosure happens, um, they are going to have to explain why didn't you tell us before? And, you know, here we are just yesterday. I think it was maybe the day before we landed on Mars with a rover with the sole intent of looking for microbial life. Um, How do we explain that? Do we say, oh, well, you know, they've been coming into us in shifts, but now, you know, I mean, we've been throwing you the bone that we're looking for microbial life, or are they somehow um, enmeshed in in this story? I mean, where does that fit in? And uh, what's the outcome of that? Well, you've got all the right questions. You really, you've mm-hmm. really been very observant. Uh, first of all, here, let me little throw a little uh, um, hors d'oeuvre oh, good. to your audience. <laughs> uh, I just put this tweet out. If you are a betting person and you can get reasonable odds, you might find somebody that's willing to put a wager with you 
or wager with someone that life on Mars, either fossil, clear fossils of former life or actual living life mm. is going to be announced within 60 days. 60 right. days, huh? Within 60 days. Now, the next thing is, is, um, uh, yeah, there, and I've said this many times, all of the, one way to look at everything that's been happening since the To The Stars Academy uh, emerged in October of 2017, and then the big New York Times articles, and then all these things have been happening with the Navy and the Army and politicians and announcements and Harvard astronomy professors and all this stuff. It's been going on. Okay. One way to look at it is a big, you know, just put it in one box and call it a public relations campaign. Because I think that's what's going on. It's a public relations campaign. It's not, we just discovered this and we just discovered that. Uh, or I think I want to go there. Or uh, it, it, no, no, it's, it's public relations. Now, what do I mean by public relations? Uh, and this happens all the time. Uh, some celebrity will have some awful thing that they've done, and they've just learned that it's about to hit TMZ, right? right. <laughs> or, sure. or, or the Daily Beast or something, and it's bad. So what they do, uh, some of them, if they, have, if, they have, if they have enough advance warning, they will go out and hire the top public relations person they can find. And that person will, all be will already start working up how the celebrity is going to handle it, right? What to say, how to say it, when to say it, other factors, maybe line up some support from people or friends who will say nice, whatever the hell it takes to try to mitigate how awful this announcement's going to be. And guess what? It works when it's done well. It's, and this oh, absolutely. is not uncommon. It okay. does, yeah. Government's got the same problem. <clears throat> the announcement of the extraterrestrial presence poses a whole range of embarrassing issues and, and will, will raise embarrassing questions for the United States government and, and, and other entities, not, not, not only, also NGOs, certain non-governmental organizations. Big time, really big time. Uh, the kind of things where you, you just, the announcement comes out Monday, you immediately submit your resignation to wherever the hell you're working for. And if you've saved up some money, you take the family. And well, I, what's, what's fashionable? You go to Cancun, right? <laughs> you stay there for a couple of years. <laughs> I just until things cool over. I mean, it's, it's, it's going to be like that. It's going to be tough. And they've always known this. And so, all these things that are happening are not, not exactly what they seem. In fact, a lot of what's happening are from people who know a lot more than they're, they're saying, that are far more informed, uh, and what they're doing is not about, oh, wow, I know this, you need to know it, but rather I need to get this out in order to get the situation shaped so that it's not gonna be so bad. All right, now that's very simplistic. Now, let me take it one step further. There is a way that disclosure should happen. We've always known this. There is a proper way for it to happen. Now, in Russia, um, hey, it happens any way Putin wants it. Putin doesn't need to do anything but just uh, hold a press conference in the, in the Kremlin. Boom, that's it. And he might do that. But not in the United States. And that may or may not be a good thing, but overall, but in the United States, it, 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 there's a way it should happen. We've always known this. The way 
that disclosure is supposed to take place is that the United States Congress, one of the three branches of government, based upon information provided to them and some understanding of the picture, decides it's important enough to hold congressional hearings in order to get information from witnesses, which is what they do all the time, all the sure. time. You know, a lot of people don't understand why they hold hearings. It seems like it's all show. Well, it, and increasingly it has become so that they'll hold a hearing simply to put on a show. Mm. And that's, of course, part of the dysfunction that's making our country fail. But that's not why hearings, uh, why, why hearings are not part of our process, government process. They're not in the Constitution, but it is a power that, the, that is not precluded. And, and Congress has, has made it standard policy. It says if you're going to pass important laws, uh, one of the ways that you get informed is to bring in live witnesses to talk to you and also get information documents about the issue that you're, you're contemplating. And then you form your legislation from an informed basis, right? right. Informed law. It's, it's very straightforward. Sometimes you do it because there's a real serious issue out there and the public needs to know about it as well as you. And you hold those hearings so that the public learns about it uh, through hearings from people under oath. And so these are very valuable things. Okay, that's what's supposed to happen. So the, the Congress, meaning committee chairs, make a decision that we need to hold hearings on a subject. And then they line up witnesses to come in and testify. They ask them to come. If they don't come and, and, and it's important that they be there, they will subpoena them. And they hold witnesses, now, hold hearings. Now, oftentimes these hearings are not particularly uh, that big a deal, but, and they're not followed. They're, they're, they may not be filmed. They may not turn up on C-SPAN, uh, but they hold the hearings. But if the issue is big enough, they will, they will, be, they will be filmed by multiple uh, news organizations and they will be or broadcast. Weird enough. You know, if they throw a weird enough topic on the docket, like extraterrestrial life, you know, cameras are showing up. You can't even, you can't even pick how big the audience will be. So, okay. So they, yeah. that's what they do. And so What's supposed to happen is they're supposed to call hearings on the extraterrestrial issue. They've had two. The last one was 68 and then one in 66. They both lasted one day. I think the 68 had four people on site and some other reports. And then that was it. One day it's done. Was that an effort to really get to the bottom of the issue? No. That was just like what they did with, uh, you know, ending uh, the Blue Project Blue Book. It was, okay, you want hearings? Here's a day. Now shut up and go away. In other words, it was part of the truth embargo. Placating. Not a yeah, real legitimate totally. effort. Mm -hmm. yeah. So that was 58, 52 years ago. Now, there have been many, many efforts to get hearings since then, and they've all been stonewalled. Why? Mm -hmm. Because hearings would lead to disclosure, and disclosure is uh, the embargo is the policy, therefore there can be no hearing. So they've all been stopped. I know of some, there probably been others I don't even know about. Well, now we're getting to the point where we can have those hearings. Okay, so you have the hearings. Multiple committees, there, there's at least six committees minimum in, in the Congress, House and Senate, that absolutely needs to hear this testimony, okay? So now who are you gonna bring as witnesses? Well, it could be it could be any number of people, but almost certainly it would you'd want military witnesses. Why? Because the fundamental issue that you're going to be focusing on, not the only one, would be national security in this case. And so if you're going to hold hearings on the extraterrestrial issue, national security is going to be the platform on which to hold them. Mm 
Mm. Now, you may go elsewhere, but that's going to be it. Why? Because that's the safest platform. No one is going to be overwrought that you would do this if a national security uh, uh, basis can be established. Perfectly reasonable. So military witnesses are appropriate. Not only that, but military people have to take oaths. And then they're in front of the Congress under another oath. And so it's high credibility, high gravitas. So you hold the hearings. Now, if it happens that hundreds of millions of people are watching the hearings, well, that's kind of nice, right? <laughs> Every member of the committee will become a star. Every chair will become a superstar. And so they're winning, okay? It's either then, that or my dog watching it on C-SPAN while I'm out of town. Yeah, even your dog will be watching it. And so yeah. after, after a number of weeks of these hearings, I mean, substantial hearings, the, the evidence that many people in my world know about already will be brought in front of the public, not just through some release of a document, but on television under oath in front of the Congress. That's a high bar, all right? And so after a couple of weeks of that, then it will be possible for the president, who's not part of the hearings, the president's not gonna testify, the president can't even call a hearing, that is Congress's prerogative, but the president can watch and the DOD will watch. And at some point they can then come together and say, the evidence is compelling, uh, I'm convinced. Are you convinced, uh, General so-and-so? I'm convinced, Mr. President. How about you, Congressman? Yeah, or Congresswoman? Yeah, I, I'm pretty much convinced. I think then it's time to, to tell the people that clearly the evidence confirms as an extraterrestrial president and the president makes the announcement, that's confirmation, that's disclosure. Mm. Now think about this. The president is not gonna get hammered too much. The president just doesn't come out and make an announcement out of nowhere and people say, well, when did you find out? And what did you know? When did you know it? No, the president can say, look, I've, I've come to this conclusion at the same time you have. Takes the heat off the president. Right. The DOD wins because the DOD is, you know, these are all military witnesses. And the DOD has been doing some things leading up to this. That's part of this public relations I'm talking about. So the DOD is kind of take some heat off of them. The Congress is a big winner, right? All these, the Congress, the both parties, are obviously going to be involved in the hearings, obviously. So they, they, they win, the committee chairs win, right? So again, everyone involved to some degree can say, I'm learning about this at the same time you are, right. but I'm convinced they're here and it will be believable in a lot of cases, but not in all cases. Right. And the only people left are the witnesses who did know ahead of time, but they're willing to come out and say, and so they well, get off the hook too. Yeah, well, they, but they were all under non-disclosure agreements. And they were the heroes that came out. And, and they're the heroes. Oh, they're definitely, right. everybody yeah. is winning. So you see the public relations value here. You see the, the wisdom of it. Yeah, and right. so, and that's the way it has to happen. And of course, and it takes a little time. People are watching these hearings for days, maybe weeks, and they're, they're getting the idea. So when the announcement comes, no, no shock and inclimactic. It's, 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 it's appropriate. It is prudent. It's the way it needs to be done, which is why we could never get the hearings. I believe we're now about to get the hearings. Now, once the hearings take place and disclosure take place, and we're in the post-disclosure world, and the initial excitement starts to come down, and there will be initial excitement, let me tell you. 
Sure. It will be unlike anything you've ever seen and ever will see. Uh, then a whole, a lot of people are going to start raising some obvious questions. I'm just not going to run out and do, do that immediately. I'm going to give, I'm going to give it time. I'm going to give it time to settle down. I, I have no intention to inflict pain on anybody once we get disclosure, because it would be to me counterproductive, but there are plenty of people with plenty of really tough questions. All right now, and they're going to have to face them. And some of them are brutal and those that can't face them should resign and, 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 and retire. Say, so, okay, look, I'm not going to be able to do this. I'll resign and let somebody new that can answer these questions based upon what's in the archives without having to personally take responsibility, whatever. There can be plenty of tough questions, but here's where it gets great. After disclosure, the hearings aren't going to stop. The hearings are going to keep going, right? I mean, the ratings are going to be phenomenal. And so what will happen in the hearings after disclosure is they can start branching out into more of the subject matter. The pre-disclosure hearings will be essentially national security based, pilot sightings, nuclear tampering events, things like that. But after disclosure, they can start spreading out into more of the phenomena and start go, moving from military witnesses only to civilian witnesses, right. civilian researchers, some of the people that have been carrying the load, carrying the water, but in the pre-disclosure world, may get their day and they'll be able to testify. They would be very smart to do that because to not do that is to really give a kiss off to a whole lot of people that carried their water for 70 years. I don't think they want to do that. And so uh, then, then things will get interesting. People will be riveted and nothing will get their attention more, I think, than when the hearings in front of the Congress, because it won't happen right away, decide to engage contact. It will happen. There will have to be hearings on contact. And this then brings up the toughest questions of all. And ultimately, again, the government through whoever is testifying will have to acknowledge they may have had absolutely nothing to do with the government's policy toward contact ever, but they are now in positions where they have to speak for the Air Force, the Pentagon, the FBI, whatever, they're going to have to, they're going to have to answer a question, a question given to them. And the answer is this, we have been aware of direct contact with humans, including American citizens for a long time. And there's nothing we could do about it. Yeah. Nothing. And so we chose not to, I mean, we chose, it was pointless. We just, there was nothing we could do about it except study it learn what we could. And then there's another question that may follow that will be almost as tough, maybe just as tough. Is there such thing as the government simulating abductions using advanced chemical, uh, advanced chemicals to find out what abductees are learning since they can't just walk up on the porch and ask them. And this came under what we believe is the MyLabs program. And this is not a good thing. Right. They may have to say, yes, we did that. But it was for national security. That'll be a tough one, right? Yeah. And then there's a third question, which is less likely, 
those, those first two, the first one is absolute. The second one, we'll see. Good chance that a question will come up. The third one is less likely than that, but may come up. And it's a butte. And that is this. Has there been formal contact between extraterrestrials and our government? The answer may be yes. I don't know for sure. I, 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 I'm saying it's 50-50 at best. Then, okay, then the second question is this. Did you cut a deal with extraterrestrials to make no effort to interfere with their contact work, genetic work, in return for something? Right. And if the answer to that is yes, then they, had, then they, have, they will have and we'll have to draw upon the finest public relations firms in Washington. And there are some very good firms. And be assured, they will already have, have gamed that. In fact, I happen to know uh, that the government of the United States for nearly five or six years had hired a public relations firm in Washington, D.C. to game, as you could say game, it's what it, in other words, to run and create simulations and projections of what would happen if disclosure were to take place. Mm -hmm. I'm not aware if that's still going on now, but there was a five-year period when I'm, I've been told by a reliable source that that was going on. And I'm not surprised. That's exactly what I would do. Oh. Post-disclosure, they're going to need those public relations people again. I mean, because some of those answers could be brutal. And, and it's, it's, it's best that, that they be handled as well as possible. I, However, whatever the government has done, ultimately is going to be underpinned by national security. And so this idea of raising hell, going crazy, marching in the streets or something is, is, is not productive. It's not gonna change anything. The past is the past. And there's gonna be enough people that will accept the national security explanation that you're, you're not gonna have you're not going to command maybe even the majority. And so I'm going to be advising people, look, you want, what you want post-disclosure is to learn as much as possible. And you will learn as much as possible if you do not uh, uh, demonize, sue, or try to put everybody in jail that you want this information from. That's why I'll support an amnesty program and also support a truth and reconciliation program post-disclosure. In other words, let's move on. Right. Now, I understand that there are times when you don't just move on. I don't believe that everything can just be pushed aside and you move on. There are times when you got to address something. You, there has to be accountability. I'm not denying that. But in terms of the history of the ET issue and given the, the issue itself. Right. Something that fact, started three or four generations ago. Not three or four thousand years ago. And well, so, I mean, and, and, and in, the, in the, the U.S. We, government and the main, yeah. you know, since Roswell. These are extraterrestrials with interstellar travel. Mm. There's not a damn thing we could do, really, frankly. We could have made it a little harder on them. We could have, we could have right. uh, dusted things, uh, dusted, uh, created some dust-ups, but... And who knows I, if that's I, even smart, you know? <laughs> I don't know if it was... It's definitely not yeah. smart. And so <laughs> yeah. I, I'm hoping people will be cool. But look, I, I've told this many times. I'm saying, look, after disclosure, wherever you are in this world, whoever you are, whatever your worldview, you're going to learn some things after disclosure that are going to disturb you. 
what else is new? <laughs> you know, right. human beings have been learning things that disturb them for a long, long time. There is nothing new about that. All right. Mm -hmm. So, okay, so expect it. But you're also going to learn things, I think, which will astound you and excite you about the future. So take the good with the bad. And then if you want to get involved and help shape the post-disclosure world, everybody is welcome. Well, we're at the end here, and I could talk to you all day. I really enjoy this, uh, and and I really appreciate it, Stephen. Um, my job. It, no problem. It's my job, too. Um, I'll come back anytime you want me. Yes, we would love to have you back on. You know, uh, other than your website, uh, is there anywhere people we should send people? Well, let me tell people, paradigmresearchgroup.org, if you want to find out more about the Paradigm Research Group. But, uh, you know, maybe for people who want to just find out about you, find uh, maybe some of your books or anything like that. Well, uh, I've not written any books. I what are these book. down here in your pictures? Because I'm lazy. But look, those aren't uh, your books. <laughs> no books. Uh, these are somebody else's books, my friend. Uh, right. uh, and my, these are all great books, by the way. Uh, but but uh, no, everything is on paradigmresearchgroup.org or .com, .net. I got them all. But 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 uh, one, uh, the Disclosure Wire is my new podcast. I finally got a podcast because well, everybody else has a podcast. It's everybody, like yeah. welcome. And to so uh, yeah, I mean, it's just getting out of hand. I've, I've done the intro. I'm going to do another one soon, but I'm, it's going to take me a while to get going on this, but it's called the Disclosure Wire. The domain is disclosurewire.org, but it's also obviously at my website. It's, mm -hmm. You can link it there. And it, its home base is, is disclosurewire.org, uh, disclosurewire on the on YouTube channel. I have a YouTube channel, but it's easy to find. And I, I, want, I like people to go and watch it and, and like it and you know, whatever you do uh, and spread the word. <laughs> Uh, also, I, I very much encourage people to subscribe to Paradigm Research Group Twitter and Paradigm Research Group Facebook. I need followers, folks. You're only as good as how many followers you have. All right. Uh, so uh, you haven't got any Twitter followers. Yeah. You might as well just retire. You, you, you're, right. just, you're useless. <laughs> right. So do that. And when you, if you go to Paradigm Research Group, there is a link up at the top there to subscribe. So you can subscribe to the free updates list and you will get information from me on a regular basis about what's going down. There are huge resources at the Paradigm Research Group. There is one in particular that uh, is, is a lot of work. Uh, I have under resources, you will find print media archive. And then you open that and go to the print media archive. And there you will find almost 12,000 articles in the mainstream media related to the UAP ET issue. Yeah. Uh, most of them are really recent. Uh, there's, it's almost impossible to get uh, internet articles prior to uh, 90. I have some going back to 1947. Uh, in order to get more articles, I'd literally have to go to libraries and microfiche, make copies, and, and then uh, make, make a file from the copy and stick it up. That's brutal work. But nevertheless, uh, uh, going back to 47, there's now 12,000 uh, links there, 12,000 articles. Now, if you go back to October 16, you will see the very first article related to the To the Stars Academy, because it was launched on, I'm sorry, October 11th, I'm sorry, October 11th, 2017, you'll see the very first article about the To the Stars Academy. It's earmarked. And then you can then go forward in time, and as you go forward in time up to the present, you will see 700 
more articles about the To The Stars Academy and the, and the events that they have triggered that are indirectly or directly related to what's going on. In other words, a sort of unveiling of what I've been talking about in a more general fashion. If you read all 700 of those articles, when you get done, you will be one of the most knowledgeable people on current developments leading to disclosure, leading to the hearings in the world. No noise, no bunch of theories coming and going and a whole lot of opinions talking about news articles covering these issues in the mainstream media. Uh, that is a lot of work went into that and I hope people avail themselves because it is getting so confusing. Everybody's got an opinion, thousands of theories. Everybody's making statements, many of which are stupid. Uh, not, I'm not criticizing, I'm just saying it's the nature of, of the internet. It. This is a way to get the least noise and analysis of the last seven months, which is leading up to I believe the most profound event in human history. That's one of many very significant resources at that website. Well, uh, I've spent the last week uh, sort of browsing through paradigmresearchgroup.org and uh, you ain't kidding. There's a lot of information on there. So uh, you've been listening to Stephen Bassett here on Radio Wasteland. Stephen, very, thank you very much for being on. Again, the website is paradigmresearchgroup.org. Ton of information. Uh, check it out and we'll have some links up for you again. Stephen, thank you very much for being on the show. Chauncey, Kara, call me. If, if you have a last minute cancellation on a guest, call me. I'm your man. Sounds this is good. my job, right? You, yeah. You'd be surprised. I, when in was the middle of the night. That's happened. <laughs> it happens all the time. <laughs> so we definitely will call you. Yeah. All right. Thank all right. you. Yeah. Appreciate yeah. it. Thank you. you. Good time. Thank you.